People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGoal to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to another episode of Premier League Insights, the show that's here to help you analyse the odds and find value in the betting markets. After another unpredictable week of, of Premier League action, I'm once again joined by Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal to, to help break down the numbers and, and look ahead to the upcoming fixtures for game week 23. How are you, Jake? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, I'm glad, sort of, that we missed the the midweek round of fixtures because uh, it's highly likely that I would have probably flagged up under two and a half goals in Man United Southampton as a value bet, which would have been tanked after about, uh, well, as soon as the red card really. But yeah, uh, coming off the back of a really good weekend, um, obviously there was a couple of, I think both of the the InfraGoal best bets won last weekend at, at odds against, which is really, really nice. And, and sticking with Brighton to win as opposed to chickening out for the, the double chance or the draw no bet, that paid dividends as well. Uh, and, you know, got to mention the, the Cresswell assist that, that did come in as well. A nice big price. So let's hope we can do something similar this weekend. Yeah, I think Pinnacle would have gone for the under 10.5 in the Manchester United Southampton game. <laughs> Um, but no, credit credit where credit is due to you. And you, you said it just there. Brighton win against Spurs, under 2.5 United Arsenal and the the Aaron Cresswell assist from, from absolutely nowhere. They all came in and yeah. not quite as good from a, a pinnacle perspective, but the, the challenge rumbles on. Um, this week, we're going to go with the obvious one, Liverpool versus Manchester City is the highlight game for pinnacle. So what's the, what's the info goal pick? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Brighton. Um, Obviously, they're a bit of a buzz team at the moment. Beat Liverpool in midweek as well, but they're playing against Burnley. Um, and you know, if if Brighton hadn't gone on this good recent run of form, they, this would probably be um, not so much a relegation six pointer, but definitely a, a big game down at the bottom. But nonetheless, I think it's going to be a really interesting game at three o'clock. That one. Well, what we'll do is we'll dive straight into our, our first game: Aston Villa versus Arsenal. And two teams looking to bounce back after defeat in midweek. I think we we spoke about whether there was anything in the the Arsenal revival on the last show that we had and didn't really give themselves a, a chance to to show whether they turned the corner because they were down to 10 men right on half time. Um nine midway through the second half when Leno was sent off. Um they they're still around sort of mid-table process-wise, slightly above average when you look at the defensive side of things, which is a it is a big improvement for them, but the attacking process, it's it's kind of around middle of the pack, but the players that they've got, I know Aubameyang was was out for a couple of weeks, but Lacazette, Saka, Willian just, just hasn't got going for them. Pepe was obviously a, a big buy, but, but hasn't really done much. But those sorts of players, you've got to be expecting more from them. Um, Villa, meanwhile, they, they obviously struggled against West Ham. Um, they did beat Southampton the game before that, which was um, after we last spoke, but they're pretty fortunate in that game. Both like the XG figures massively favoured Southampton. There was a handball in there. I think it was Matty Cash that I do not <laughs> understand how that was not a handball. Um, you had Danny Ings's late equaliser that was chalked off when it was like someone's backside just about playing him off or whatever it was. Um, I don't know with them whether they're 
in a bit of a decline, whether they're just having a, a blip. But the market seems to think it's it's the former of those two, as Arsenal are actually the favourites here. Thirty seven percent chance of the win at two point six six. Villa are 2.77, so a 35% chance for them. And the draw is 28% at 3.51. Arsenal's improved defence. Um, struggling attack has probably had an impact on the goals market as well. Under 2.5 is the favourite. Um, probably looking to go against the market in both of these, maybe myself, Jake. But I'm interested to see what the Infogon model says. Yeah, just out of interest, what's the pinnacle got the goal line priced up at for under 2.5? So we're... Uh, we're at 2.5 and 3 split. So if I change it to 2.5, we're on 1.79 for the overs. Right. Um, yeah, so that, that straight away is a massive value play on our side, is, is opposing that that number right there. Um, we're at 55% chance of under 2.5 goals. So we make it around 1.79, 1.8, that under 2.5 goals should be the favourite. Um, so there's huge value there. And I think the reason behind that is, is the, you know, you mentioned it there, Arsenal's improved defence. Um, we've seen Villa put in two really poor back-to-back -back attacking performances, um, 0.77 XG against Southampton, 0.66 against West Ham. Um, and this is a team that over the course of the season have averaged around two expected goals per game. So those two performances were well below par um, for uh, by them. And I think Arsenal... They'll know that if they go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this Villa team, give them space to exploit. Um, I think that Villa could easily win this game quite comfortably. So I do expect a, a more reserved approach from Arsenal. Um, the missing Louise, which <laughs> I know the you know the, the, the sending off was very similar to the one that Jan Bednarek suffered. And, and Bednarek is able to play this weekend, whereas Louise isn't um, due to that being overturned. So they're missing him. They're missing Leno as well, which is huge. Um, Matt Ryan who the guy, the guy they brought in from Brighton on loan, he's also out for this game. So um, you're looking at a third-choice goalkeeper in net for Arsenal, which is kind of ironic, seems as though they sold Emi, Emi Martinez to Villa in the summer, who, who was arguably better than Leno last season. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that, to, to consider in this game. But I do think that given the, the personnel issues, not sure if Tierney's going to be back available as well, I, I think that we could be in for a, a pretty reserved approach from Arsenal. And to be fair to, to the Gunners, there's been a stigma around them, um, particularly away from home over the last you know, four, five, six years even, where they've been a really easy team to play against um, when they are on the road. This season has been completely different. They've actually been really, really good away from home. The process is, is really solid, averaging around 1.4 expected goals for per game. They're allowing 1.14 expected goals against, against per game. So they're not giving away too many chances um, uh, away from home. They're playing much more um, solid kind of football. Um, and even against Wolves, going down to 10 men, they only conceded around 0.8 non-penalty expected goals in that game. So even when being reduced to 10 men and then 9 men, they didn't concede too many chances um, to Wolves. And, and that's why the game was still in the balance almost towards um, the end of the 90 minutes. So, yeah, I'm just looking at the, the XG table now. And, and based on the away process, only six teams have got a better process away from home than Arsenal this season. Um, United, Chelsea, West Ham, which you'll be pleased to hear, Leicester, Liverpool, and Manchester City. So they're they're they're, they're making positive strides um, away from home. But as mentioned, Villa, in terms of their attacking numbers, I know they've had a couple of off days, but um, overall this season, especially at Villa Park, they've been simply just unbelievable, averaging around two point two eight expected goals for per game uh, at home, which is a staggering number conceding just 1.28 expected goals against per game. So they're not conceding too many good chances on a regular basis either. So I think that defences could be on top in this game. Um, in terms of the 1x2, the market has 
Uh, it's got Arsenal favoured marginally. It's a very, very um, evenly split book, actually, looking at the at the figures. And uh, we actually make Villa marginal favourites. We're giving them 38% chance of, of getting the victory. So there is a small amount of value in backing Villa to get the win in the 1x2. But I do think that under 2.5 goals um, is a serious play. Uh, at a price that looks to be around 2.2, 2.25. But if you want a bit of extra security, I think taking under three goals uh, on the Asian line, which obviously would mean a state back if there, are, if there is exactly three goals, I think that is, is a, a much safer play given the, the attacking firepower that Villa in particular have. And w- just on the, the firepower for Villa then, is it... Do you think they've got enough outside of Jack Grealish and Ollie Watkins? I know Watkins hasn't really... He had that barren spell. He scored a couple in his last few games. But, I mean, Triore's kind of in and out of the team with El Ghazi. They've obviously got Ross Barkley. But in terms of going forward, do, do more people need to chip in? What, what do you make of sort of across the line for Villa in terms of their attacking output? I think they've got an exceptionally well-balanced attack. Um, I think... I don't know if I said it on this podcast, but... I think Bertrand Traore is, a, is just effectively just a slightly taller, left-footed version of Jack Grealish. They both do the same thing when they get on the ball. They're both very direct with the with their approach. They get the ball, they carry the ball past players. They can beat a man, um, which helps the team get up the pitch. So, in terms of the you know non-penalty expected goals, which is uh, sorry, uh, non-shot expected goals, which is something that I've spoken about on here previously. Those two players in particular will be really, really uh, important to Villa in terms of driving the ball through the channel, uh, through the lines, and, and getting them up the pitch. Um, El Ghazi is a slightly different player. He's he's not as direct as those two, but he does find himself in scoring positions much more regularly than the pair of them. Um, he's averaging 0.66 expected goals per, uh, per average match this season, which is actually the highest in the Villa team. Oli Watkins is at 0.57. So when El Ghazi does play, he does get himself in scoring positions. But I think overall contribution, Traore. Um, is is, is very, it balances that front three especially well, um, and I think Barkley is is probably been one of the most underrated signings of the of the summer window. I think he's been really really good, brought something different to that Villa team. He himself averaging around 0.3 expected goals uh, per average match, and they've just brought in a uh, a similar sort of midfielder to Barkley f- um, from Marseille, Morgan Sanson, who's um, put in some very similar numbers to Barkley uh, from Barkley's from last season when he was at Chelsea. Uh, and we saw, I think, I think he's averaging around 0.57 expected goal involvements per average match this season. Is Barkley, um, and I think that's just partly, mainly because he's playing in such an attack-minded Villa team. And um, I think that the the options that they have, like I said, I think they're they're a very well balanced team. Ollie Watkins is the sort of gel that sticks it all together, uh, bringing players into play, making the runs into the channels that leave spaces for the likes of Traore and Grealish to get on the ball. Um, and I, yeah, they're just a really exciting team to watch. Um, I think the, the the top of or near the top of pretty much every attacking metric this season, uh, non penalty big chances expected goals for per game, non penalty expected goals for per game, and even just the basic sort of shots shots on target, they're top of those stats as well. So, um, is this this game's going to be a struggle for them? Uh, like I've said, Arsenal's defensive improvement is you know it's not going unnoticed, and I think it deserves a little bit of respect at this point. So. I think, you know, I'm hoping to see an entertaining game, an end-to-end match, but uh, I don't think it's going to it's gonna turn out like that. Uh, and I think Villa will probably create the better of the chances, but um, I think it'll end up being a low-scoring game. So, like I said, under three goals is probably my best bet in this uh, on the Asian line. Well, we'll get on to the next game, and it's the the one you've picked out as the, the Infogar highlight game with Burnley versus Brighton. And two 2-0 two losses for Burnley since we last spoke, two 1-0 wins for Brighton. Um, Burnley's were against Chelsea and Man City, so they wouldn't really have expected much from them. But but Brighton's wins against Tottenham and Liverpool, it's 
it's mad to think how quickly a team season can turn around when they were sort of down the bottom, relegation contenders, and all of a sudden they they kind of get some results that their performances have deserved. And I mean, anyone who's a, a believer in XG or follows it, it's it's good to see Graham Potter actually getting some decent results and, and relieving some pressure on him. Um, they are favourites here to make it three wins from three, despite being on the road. But Brighton are 2.23, Burnley 3.81 and the draw is 3.21. Um, so that's 44% chance for Brighton, 26% chance for Burnley and 30% on the draw. And as you'd expect from their recent results and the, the figures over the season as a whole, it's, it's a low goals total at two for this one. It's going to be an interesting one with your highlight game, Jake. You, you obviously like Brighton having having sort of tipped them up last time we spoke. You often speak about the market underestimating Burnley. So which way are you going to be leaning on this one or, or is it neither and you're, you're looking for the goals market? Yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's ultimately neither and I'm going to the goals market. But um, I think you can make a case in particular for Brighton in this game. Um, you know, we, we, we do say regularly on this podcast that, that Burnley are a very underrated team when it comes to um, you know, betting the Premier League. And um, I think Brighton have probably been the opposite in recent weeks. Uh, you know, that their, their price, for example, at home to Tottenham, uh, what they went off at about just short of, I think it was nine to four in the, in the end. Um, but if, if, for example, if, if that was uh, Burnley playing at home to Tottenham, they go, they're going off at probably 15 to four, um, and Fulham are going off at probably even bigger than that. So, um, you know, the market is it, it's smart. It knows that Brighton are in a false position and effectively it's pricing them up in, in that manner, um, like a mid-table team as opposed to a, a team in a relegation battle. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is interesting. I think that the Infocom models, it, it, I think it was still rating Burnley marginally too high. Um, the performances this season have been um, quite shocking, really, compared to last season, but they have still managed to get points on the board. I think they're averaging around 0.86 expected goals for per game this season, which is second worst to only uh, West Brom. Uh, and defensively, they're allowing around 1.4 expected goals against per game. So compare that to last season, they're averaging around 1.4 expected goals for per game. So they're, they're down about 0.6 of an expected goal in attack. Um, the defence has, has stayed pretty much the same. So they are a, a worse team than what we saw last season, um, but they have managed to get points on the board, which is... Um, yeah, which is which is the main thing really, and, and they've got a nice cushion between themselves and the bottom three. the The issue with Burnley coming into this is the fact that in the last two matches, while they have played Chelsea and Manchester City, they they basically just rolled over and <laughs> had their belly tickled. Effectively, I think they, they managed uh, a total of three shots across those two games, equating to 0.21 expected goals. So, just minimal threat from an attacking standpoint. And then you look even further back and. 0.79 expected goals against Villa, um, which is, again, a very low total. Very fortunate to score three times from that. And then against Liverpool, they managed just 0.3 non-penalty expected goals against West Ham. It was 0.44. So, you, you know, you're getting the, the the idea that this Burnley team are just not creating chances whatsoever. Um, and they've got Brighton, who come into this on the back of four clean sheets in the Premier League, three one nil wins in that time. Um, and, the, you know, all four of those games have been deserved the win they've won the XG battle in all four um the, the way in which they dominated Tottenham was um although I tipped Brighton up I didn't think they would be as comfortable in that game um they, you know racked up nearly 1.8 expected goals limited Spurs to around 0.4 so they you know the the, the the level of dominance in that performance was um was really really impressive and then they went to Anfield and actually beat Liverpool 
uh, on the XG battle, which is something that very, very rarely happens to Liverpool, especially at Anfield. I think the only team that's won the XG battle at Anfield um, I think last season, or for the last this season and last season, was was Manchester City when they, they actually lost the game three 0 So that's not um, you know that absolutely fantastic feat for Graham Potter's side. And yeah, the interesting thing, like I said, four clean sheets, but in all four of those games, including against Leeds, who are a rampant attacking side. Liverpool, who are obviously one of the best attacking teams in the league, they've they've not allowed more than one expected goal in any of those matches. So they've really tightened things up at the back um, in that in that period, and it's not they've not lost anything in attack either, which is really really impressive. I think over that four game stretch, they've averaged around one point six expected goals for per game. So um, they really are, like you said at the start, getting the results now that are matching their performances. Um, they've been a, a top eight team in our XG table pretty much all season long, despite sitting in and around the relegation zone. So, uh, you know, it, it's a good time to be on Brighton. I think this price is just a little bit too short, though. I think if it was about 2.35, I would be interested. But uh, at the moment, I think we're looking at around um, 2.25. So oh, just, a, just a little bit out of the uh, the value price range. Um, so yeah, looking to the goal line and uh, given Burnley's attacking struggles, they really are um, abysmal going forward this season, relying solely on set pieces it, it appears. Um, and then you consider Brighton's really strong defensive numbers, but also the fact that away from home, they're not actually as prolific as, as they are at the Amex. I think the Amex are averaging nearly two expected goals per game. Away from home, it's at 1.1. So um, they themselves aren't as, uh, as attack-minded away from home. So, yeah, looking at the goal line, it's set at two. Um, I think that's very fair. And I would, I think the the odds against price is actually for the un, under two goals. That really appeals to me. Um, that's something that I think I was going to tip up under 1.5 goals uh, for a bit of a bigger price, but under two goals with the, um, you know, the, the possibility of it finishing maybe 1-1 one, one, one or 2-0 if Brighton have a 1-0 lead and, and Burnley throw bodies forward Brighton on the counter-attack just as he did against Tottenham at the weekend and, and Alderweireld pulled out a really, really late block to uh, deny the 2-0 if that kind of thing happens and they do score this time. Being on the under-two goal line is, is beneficial for that reason. Um, so, yeah, I, I think under-two goals, it's priced at 2.05 on Pinnacle. Um, that is is a really good bet that, I, that I'm putting forward as Infogol's bet. I think you've uh, I think you've proven already, Jake. You know when to take a calculated risk and and when to maybe <laughs> sort of play it a little bit safer. But you mentioned there, like it's. I mean, first of all, when you when you stack up those really poor Burnley attacking figures, it might not be long before we're we're having that conversation again about them dropping <laughs> down the table and potential relegation. But um, in terms of the market and where Pinnacle's going with the prediction, it's all for Brighton on this one. As you said, I mean, the, the market is sort of in line with perhaps where they should be. And, and we know things like expected goals are are considered um, in the prices. But but 2.26 on, on Brighton is, is Pinnacle's prediction for this one. Um, we will get on to our next game because we've got Newcastle versus Southampton. And <laughs> the market has reacted a little bit to the, the Southampton defeat, but not as much maybe as some people might expect. Um they're still the favourites. Newcastle are, are coming in off the back of a disappointing result themselves. Not quite as bad as a, a 9-0, but um, they're 3.07 and the draw is, is 3.33. So in terms of percentages, I don't know if I mentioned, sorry, Southampton 2.52. Um, but your percentages are 39% for Southampton, 32% for Newcastle and 29% for the draw. Um, the total is on the league average at 2.5. Betters are actually currently leaning towards the under um, for that. So perhaps... Southampton trying to react and, and have 
nothing similar or anywhere near what we saw in the last game. But we've just got two teams for this. I mean, they're both having pretty poor seasons and we'd kind of expect it from Newcastle, given what we've seen from them over the last season or two. Southampton, and, and we chatted about this last time we spoke, they've just been they've been really disappointing. And for them, it's it's clear that the attacking process, like put the, the 9-0 to one side for a second, but the attacking process is is really dire from from what we've seen from them in the past. They're the fourth worst in the league. Um, 1.08 expected goals for per game. Um, they could potentially have a chance here, though, against Newcastle because Newcastle are conversely in amongst the, the worst in terms of defensive process at 1.59 expected goals against. Um, it is kind of around sixth in the in sixth worst in the league, but very close to the likes of Sheffield United, Fulham and, and Palace, who are just below them. So do do Southampton bounce back here, Jake, or, or can Newcastle maybe take advantage of morale being at rock bottom? Um yeah, I think the the interesting thing around Southampton is not the fact, not just the fact, sorry, that they've lost 9-0 for the second time in two seasons, which is just bizarre. And, uh, you know, I sort of feel sorry for Ralph Arsenal there, but it's also the the injuries and, and the players missing um, for Southampton. I mean, I don't know if you saw the market move um, in midweek. Manchester United, there was so much money came for them, just as the team news was announced, purely because of Southampton's bench, which was, pretty much non-existent. It was, it was just youth team players. And, you know, we saw a couple of those players thrown into the starting lineup. The young lad that ended up getting sent, sent off after two minutes um, you know, was was one of those. Um, and yeah, the, the, the amount of players that they're missing um, is, is a massive concern heading into this game, just purely because it's getting to the point of looking at it now as who do they pick to, to, to make up an 11 um, and, or make up an, an 18 or 19 or however many people you can include in your squad now. So, um, it's a good opportunity this for Newcastle to really put a bit of daylight between themselves and, or more daylight, should I say, between themselves and the, and the bottom, uh, the bottom three. They they were very unfortunate to um, to lose to Crystal Palace, believe it or not. It's the third game in a row that Newcastle have actually won the XG battle. Um, that's something I never thought I would say, <laughs> given what we've come to expect from Newcastle. Um, but yeah, they 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 really created a lot of chances in that match. Two point four three expected goals to, to Crystal Palace is zero point seven six. Um, that comes off the back of a, a one point eight eight expected goal performance at Everton and a one point four four against Leeds. But really interestingly, I, I was looking at uh, a little bit more detail at the actual shot numbers rather than just xG. Um, against Leeds, they had twenty one shots. Against Everton, thirteen, and against Crystal Palace, they had twenty two shots in total. Um, I think. Baseball. Yeah, Bruce it, it, revolutionary Bruce Ball now. Um, but yeah, prior to those three matches, I think they were averaging around eight or nine shots per game. It was one of the lowest totals in the league. Um, all of a sudden, they're, they're shooting on sight, pretty much, is, is what it seems like. There's a, the, you know, the shot map is is still very much plenty of tiny little dots from around uh, the 18-yard area from 20 yards, 25 yards, low probability chances. Um, but it does seem as though they are shooting on sight and I think I wonder if that's just their way of trying to be a bit more proactive, a bit more attack-minded. Um, but I do think that there could be a potential angle um, in uh, in a shot line. I was looking at some of the prices for for Newcastle shots. If you can get on on board with any of those, I think certain um, I think around thirteen plus shots is what I had around even money. So if you can get anything a uh, bigger price than even money on thirteen plus Newcastle shots, I think that is definitely something uh, to get on board with, um, especially given Southampton's 
uh, like I've said, injury issues, mainly defensively. Uh, and I think that given the, the you know, the, the, the hammering that they took in midweek and, you know, the confidence is going to be rock bottom, the psyche is going to be all over the place. It could well be a case that Southampton turn up here and just aim to sort of defend and play in that low block that we have seen them playing quite a few times this season. You think back to the the Liverpool game where they actually won 1-0. They took an early lead and then just sort of retreated and sat in, uh, in, a, in a really difficult to break down block. And if they do that, then Newcastle could easily wrap the shots up from outside the area because they'll get frustrated. I mean, they've got players that can create and beat a man, the likes of St. Maximan, but um, they haven't really got too much quality in the attacking area to break down that deep block. So I would imagine that it'll get to a point where they just start firing shots from anywhere. Um, uh, and that's where you see your shot total increase. So that's a, that's one angle in this game that I quite like the look of. Um, the other is, is just looking at, um, at the goal line. I think that the goal line is... I think it, two, under two and a half is the favourite, but I think it should be a little bit shorter. Um, it's around 1.88 for under 2.5. We make it around 1.8. Um, and again, you know, if you take the 9-0 game out of out of this, the equation for Southampton, a game in which they conceded nearly five expected goals, um, Southampton have, have allowed just 1.3 expected goals against per game this season, which is, um, you know, I think it's a top-half defensive process. So they're not, you know, they, they even... What what's going to happen now is that for the rest of the season that nine nil that five expected goals is just going to be massively inflate their their totals. Um, so that's something to bear in mind, and it was something to bear in mind last season when it happened as well, um, and probably next season when it happens again. So <laughs> it's just trying to pick the right team that's going to beat them nine nil. Um, but yeah, I've got I've got the list up now of players that are, that are, that are potentially missing. So Kyle Walker Peters is a starting right back. He's questionable. Jan Vestergaard, who was a you know one of the starting centre halves, questionable as well. Mohamed Salisu, the centre half he brought in in the summer, he's questionable. Romeo's questionable. Diallo, the midfielder who replaced Romeo when he got injured, he's questionable. Um, they're all doubts. Um, Michael Obafemi, the striker. Will Smallbone, um, the lad who got sent off in midweek, obviously can't play. Nathan Teller, winger. Theo Walcott, they're all definitely ruled out. So you you, you know I think I lost count on my hands there, but it's about eleven players or ten yeah. players that I've named that. That are missing and but yeah the, the only positive as I mentioned in the in the Arsenal game is that Jan Bednarek is actually available for this having had his his red card overturned so that's one positive but I do think that this is going to be a real uphill battle for Southampton and, and as you've said they've not been the best attacking team so far this season they've actually um, really struggled in that department despite such a hot start to the season especially away from home they're averaging just 0.9 expected goals for per game so uh, under two and a half makes a lot of appeal at 1.88 and depending on the price that you can get uh, or what's what's available? I'm just looking now. Um, yeah, Newcastle plus naught on the Asian handicap, uh, 2.16. That that does appeal to me. I, I, if there is going to be a winner of this game, I think it will be Newcastle. And there is a small amount of value based on the Infocom model in getting Newcastle on side in this game. Um, but I would take the the plus naught on the Asian handicap. It's all effectively a draw, no bet. So if if it finishes in in a draw, um, you get your stake back, uh, which I think is the most likely outcome of this game. But if Newcastle win, then obviously you get an, a nice winner. Um, the only way you lose is if Southampton actually win the game, which I think is 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 the least likely outcome in this one. Um, and it definitely isn't a value play looking at the current prices. When there's your your big tip for the 2021-22 season, just bet on Southampton <laughs> to lose in their middle every week and see what yeah. happens. There'll, there'll be a special priced up somewhere. So Southampton will be, be ridiculously short compared to what it should be as well. Yeah. It should be nine to one. Um <laughs> for a nine nil. 
<laughs> right, Fulham versus West Ham is is next on our list, and I think at the the start of the season, myself and and probably yourself included, they we would have had these sort of close together in the table at, at one stage. Um, it's currently Fulham in eighteenth, West Ham in fifth. Fulham. You say that again, Ben. Yeah, exactly. That? West Ham in in fifth place. Crikey. Um, still getting used to it. Um, <laughs> no, Fulham deserve to be where they are based on based on expected goals. West Ham even as a, as a West Ham fan, have, have perhaps been a little bit unfortunate. But I think what you have to say, West Ham, is they have played consistently well. They're pretty much bang on with their expected figures. They're 34 scored from 35.2 expected, 28 conceded from exactly 28 expected. And the reason they've kind of been a little bit fortunate, I think, is because it's more the teams below them have, have underperformed against their XG. The likes of Chelsea and, and stuff like that has kind of bumped West Ham up a little bit. Um, I think I said on last week's show that that Fulham have, have made improvements and they've drawn they've just drawn a couple of games. But I, I looked back at it today; they're actually winless in eleven in the league. Um, of course, there is a few draws in there, but it does look like it's going to be a real struggle for them at, come the end of the season. The market does like West Ham; they've, they've pushed them towards odds on two point one three at the moment. It's forty six percent win probability. Fulham are 3.67, which gives them just under 27% chance. Um, and the draw is slightly shorter at 3.55, which is just over 20, 27% chance. Um, another one where the betters like the under as well, quite a bit. 54% chance of under 2.5 here. Um, an interesting one, does the does the good form continue for West Ham, Jake? What do you make of this? I think so, yeah. Um, I think the, the market move in West Ham's favour is fully deserved. Um, I little bit annoyed about it because we've lost our value now in, in West Ham. <laughs> we've now got it priced as exactly the same as what you've said there, 46% chance um, of an away win. So, that, you know, the market's got this one spot on, really. And uh, I, I think, to be honest, I think by by click, kick-off and closing line, I think that the the West Ham will probably be around even money, maybe even odds on. Uh, and I think that, that would also be fully warranted. Um, I think... Yeah, Fulham, like you said, they're, they're winless in what seems like forever. Um, even though they, they keep getting plaudits for the way in which they play and, and you know, that Scott Parker's turning things around. He's not. It's just to put it quite simply, he's not. Um, yeah, the underlying... I've to that myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said it on a um, last week that, you know, there is there seems to be so much love for Fulham and what they're doing and, you know, some of their performances. And you're just highlighting one or two performances, you know, playing Chelsea close and you know, a decent first half against Liverpool. But the bottom line is that they're still creating next to nothing in attack. I think it's one expected goal per game they've averaged over this 11-game period. Uh, and they've conceded nearly 1.8 expected goals against per game in that period as well. So, you know, you can see just from those raw numbers that they haven't really deserved to win any of those matches. They're not. I think the only game they've won the XG battle in uh, was actually against West Brom, and that was only marginal. So, um yeah, it is it, it, for me anyway. It's panic stations for Fulham. I, I think that they're in real trouble of being um, of being sort of swept away with the likes of West Brom and Sheffield United. And the way it's looking at the moment, Sheffield United could well finish above Fulham and West Brom um, because you know Fulham and West Brom they they're just really struggling on the attacking front while looking leaky in defence. Um, and I think that this is going to be another game. Um, you know, the, 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 to be fair, the caveat that people have thrown about this eleven-game winless run is that that I think I think they played six of the top eight in this eleven-game winless run, um, and you know that suggests that they've had a pretty tough schedule. Over half the games have been against you know pretty elite opposition, but then in this game they're playing against a team that are fifth in the table, so it falls into that same category of 
uh, of a tough game. And yeah, it, even at home this season, they've been really easy to play against. Um, I think they've, they've scored 0.6 goals per game, which is, um, you know, suggests that they're not going to pose too much of a threat at all. They're expected goal total at home is at 1.05. Uh, and defensively, they're averaging 1.6 expected goals against per game. So they effectively are just really easy to play against. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot more hustle and bustle. There's more effort, more energy about the Fulham team, which is, I think is what, what's catching people's eye. You think of the midfield in particular, you've got Anguissa in there, who's, you know, a big body boy, puts himself about. Uh, he's got a lot of quality on, on the ball. And you can see that, that him and whoever partners him in midfield, whether it be Reed or Lamina, they're, they're, they are putting in the shift. They are getting around the pitch. Um, and then you've got the players in front of them, the likes of Luckman, Loftus-Cheek, who look really exciting whenever you get on the ball. But when they get on the ball so little in the match, that it doesn't actually make too much of a difference. Um, and defensively, yeah, they, he switched to a back five earlier on in the season. And there were signs that that was working, but they, they just become really easy to play against. And Leicester just exploited them. I don't know if you've seen the goals from midweek, Ben, but uh, both of them effectively yeah, came the from... James Justin one was... They, they just walked through them, didn't they? Well, I was just going to say, how high was the line? Like, they were on the halfway line. Um, you've got players like Inacho Madison, who are quick and can play those decisive through balls, and you're playing on the halfway line. And I'll tell you, if you do that against West Ham with a, a rejuvenated Jesse Lingard and, and you know, Mikel Antonio, they're going to get crucified. And uh, I think that, that that, for me, is a massive worry because Fulham will probably look at this game and think this is a good opportunity for us to get a win. Um, whereas against Leicester, they probably thought, a draw would be a good result here. Uh, and I think that that could be really uh, really worrying for them if they see this game as uh, as a lesser challenge than, than the Leicester game because West Ham uh, are performing at a level that is very similar to what Leicester have put up. Even though Leicester have got a few more points, um, they're, they're, these two have put up very similar underlying numbers. Leicester's expected goal difference is at 8.4, West Ham's at 7.2. So there is not a lot between them. Um, and away from home, West Ham have really enjoyed themselves this season. I think only only Leicester, Liverpool, and Manchester City have got a better process away from home than West Ham. Um, so they'll have no problems playing away from the London Stadium whatsoever. Averaging over 1.7 expected goals for per game, allowing just 1.16 expected goals against per game. So they are putting up some really, really, really impressive numbers. Um, and again, David Moyes deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. And um, you know the, the way in which they dealt with Aston Villa in midweek was, um, you know, I wasn't expecting that. I thought that they, that it, Potentially will be a good game for Villa to, to get back to winning ways uh, or get another win, sorry. But West Ham really did play very well, uh, racking at 1.9 expected goals. And, and I, to be honest, I, I think that West Ham will win this game. And at the current price, it's not a value bet, but we are pretty much in line and in agreement. I wouldn't put anyone off back in West Ham odds against. I think that's could prove to be a, a big price by, uh, by closing time. Um, but in terms of value, I'm looking at goal line. Fulham's defensive issues, West Ham's really strong attack. Um, quite a lot of West Ham games recently have seen plenty of goals, so I'm surprised to see the under as the favourite in this one. Um, and yeah, the model makes over two and a half odds on favourite, 51%, it's about 1.95. Um, and you can back over two and a half at 2.06, so there's a small bit of value there. And if you want to be a bit exotic, you can couple the two together, West Ham and over two and a half. Um, and yeah, keep an eye out for Cresswell assist. If it stays around eight to one, that's a, that's a bet that's backable every week because his delivery is sensational. He's on the set pieces, he's on the corners uh, and, you know, he gets the open play crosses in as well. And now playing in the back four as opposed to uh, a centre-half in the back three, he's, he's getting forward a bit more. So if you can get, I think it was around eight to one last week. If you can get around that price again, I would definitely be looking at it. 
Yeah, maybe not, as you said, a, a value bet because the, the model's pretty much in line with the market. But but maybe your the Infogon model hasn't incorporated just how good Jesse Lingard is. <laughs> yeah, I think I think to be fair, he got a lot of help from Martinez in midweek. I don't know if you've yeah. seen the goals back, uh, but I reckon I could have saved uh, both of them. But yeah, you know, you know, you can just see just from the you know the the sort of even in the short space of time, the energy that he brings to that forward line. Um, I know Pablo Fornals has been a really, really good player for you this season, but um, he's not quite as dynamic as, as Lingard. Yeah, and... I, I, jokes aside, I think what it is, it's more depth, isn't it? So, so Jesse Lingard, I mean, he's not going to play like that every week, but Fornals, you've you've got um, Jared Bowen as well on the other side. So that there's now more. Yeah. more sort and Ben Rahm as well is playing, um, playing quite well at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, really, really impressive. Um, and I think the, the link up between Lingard and Antonio in particular in that game, Something to keep an eye on moving forward. Right. Well, let's um, let's get on to Manchester United and Everton, and we're we're we we're not going to do the Southampton nine nil to death, but <laughs> from a Manchester United perspective, obviously a, a good way to bounce back from a, a couple of poor results. They had the the loss to Sheffield United. They drew nil nil with Arsenal. Um, they're still a way off Manchester City, but they're obviously going to be high on confidence going into this one. Everton haven't really been that great since we last spoke. They've had a, a real dip since the start of the season. Then they sort of went up again with a good sort of run of five, six games. But they were terrible against Newcastle. 0.77 xG with a 2-0 loss. bit better against Leeds. Obviously got the win and 2-1, and but it was 1.8 xG in that one. Um, they just seem very up and down. You never know which sort of Everton side is going to turn up. Um, they're massively overperforming according to their process. They're, they're sixth, but playing like a team that's kind of 14th, 15th in the table. And really for them, it's the the attack that's letting them down, creating, um, I mean, it's not terrible, 1.35 expected goals for per game, but a team that's meant to be a top six contender, it's, it's obviously quite a way off. And I think for me anyway, it seems a lot of the time there's a sort of, some big, big sort of close range chances from Dolnick, Calvert-Lewin, especially that sort of jump out of my mind that could be boosting those figures even more. Um, but InfoGold doesn't doesn't actually have Manchester United as the second best team in the league, according to your expected goals table. But they are getting close. They're, they're managing to, to get results when others haven't. Um, 62% chance of a win here, Jake. Do you, do you think that's a fair mark in terms of where the market's at or, or maybe one where the, the goals market could appeal. We've got over 2.5 and 3 taking the bulk of the action at the moment. What do you, what do you make of all the markets? Yeah, I, I think the the 1x2, we've got it priced up exactly the same. 62% chance of um, of a home win. I think the goal line is where we're going to find our value. And and I think the, I think the market is maybe slightly overreacting to the 9-0, uh, which is pushing the goal line up. But... You know, they, they United were extremely ruthless, weren't they? Um, even against nine men, there was no foot off the gas. It was literally, let's try and rack up as many as we can. And you've got to appreciate that. That's that's the sort of mentality you want. Um, and ultimately, it's done them the world of good, not only for the confidence and the, the, obviously the, quite a few strikers got, got goals, Marshall in particular. Um, but it's also boosted the goal difference, which could, you know, be huge come the end of the season. It's sort of rectified that 6-1 defeat that they suffered early on that, that obviously that minus five goal difference was sort of eradicated pretty much and and, and almost um yeah doubled <laughs> finished with a 10 nil. But um yeah, so they'll be they'll be in a really good headspace coming into this. And I think to fancy the chances, Manchester United, although they the issue that they they have is that, that at home this season they haven't been as good as, as they've been away from home. I think the results tell you that story and so do the so does the underlying process. <clears throat> um 
Yeah, they've got an expected goal difference of 7.1. But if you take away that Southampton game where they had a, a plus 4.5 expected goal difference, um, you know, the expected goal difference of the previous 10 matches was plus 3.6, uh, sorry, 2.6. So, yeah, they they haven't been good. That that home win is going to boost their, their underlying numbers for the rest of the season, effectively. Um, but yeah, the main issue they've had prior to that Southampton game was actually creating chances at home. Um, as opposed to actually con- you know, def- conceding, they were they were conceding chances at home, around 1.4 expected goals against per game. That's going to have stayed pretty consistent, given that Southampton really threatened. But um, but yeah, it, it, they're really they're they're a really tough team to uh, sort of assess Manchester United because the the raw numbers sometimes tell a different story um, to the eye test. For example, the the narrative around the Arsenal game was that. I think it was Keane in the studio afterwards was saying, do they not want to win the title? They play not to win the title. And then you look at the XG numbers and it's like, well, Cavani's missed two chances of around 0.6 XG. So clearly they're doing something right. Um, and the same with the Sheffield United game. You know, the, the emphasis was on the result, but the actual performance conceding 0.4 expected goals in that game. It's very rare that you'd actually concede two goals from that um, to lose the game. So uh, I think that, their expected position or a fourth at the moment is is about right. I think that they are the fourth best team. We've got Liverpool and Chelsea above them. Um, but I think that they've closed the gap quite considerably to the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool, which is all that they could really ask for this season. Um, Everton, they're a, they're a very similar, similar team to United. I mean, they, they played such a bad game against Newcastle and then go to Leeds and win the XG battle uh, and quite comfortably win in the end. Uh, I think that the the price of well the watching the closing line of that game was really interesting because they were they were around, I think it was eight to five or something. They were favourites at one point. They went off at 15 to 8. So that the money really did come against them. But um it was a really it was a much better performance. And I think that's just purely because they set up in a much more attacking manner. Um, you know, Lucas Dinya was back in there, which is a huge he's a huge player for them from a creative standpoint. We saw that for the first goal, got the assist for Sigurdsson. Um, but having Decore back in as well was uh, was huge. His energy breaking the play up, and the only thing that would actually make that team a little bit better would obviously be Hames um, and Alan. They've missed Alan hugely, and he's supposedly um, he could be available for this game, which would be quite interesting, um, given that he he can dictate the play, put his foot in, win the ball back. Um, but yeah, overall that was a very rare good attacking performance from Everton. I think that's. That's the best attacking display based on expected goals since early December when they beat Burnley. Um, I think that was about seven, eight, maybe nine games ago. So they they have really struggled on that front. And, you know, that could well prove to be a one-off because we know how how Leeds are quite easy to play against. Um, their defensive process is, is second worst only to West Brom. So um, they could struggle against this Manchester United team um, to, to actually create chances. I know I've said that United's process isn't great at home, but overall it's it's one of the better uh, defensive processes in the league. So I'm again looking to the under goal line. Um, he said it's set at two and a half and three. I think that's probably about right. Um, we make value on under two and a half goals though. 48% chance uh, of under 2.5. Um, but again, I think taking that under three goals, you get that extra bit of security. Uh, it's at 1.72, which is... A pretty backable price, in my opinion. Um, especially, like I said, if, you, if there is, if it finishes two-one or three-nil, you get any money back. Whereas under two point five, if there's an early goal in this one, then uh, then I would expect, you know, either way, teams to open up. So, 
Uh, opposing goals is the way to go. And, and in my opinion, taking the under three on the Asian goal line is, is the best way to do it. And I think Manchester United fans, and, and I think most people sort of looking at the table and the way it is now would, would probably say that they're, they're well and truly in the title race. Do you think that's going to be the case in five, ten games time or, or right towards the end of the season? Um, <laughs> I think that depends quite a lot on what happens this weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me. If um, if Manchester City go and beat Liverpool in the backyard, then I, I think it's very difficult for anybody to catch them. Um, but having said that, if Liverpool get a result and take points off City and Manchester United, they've got three games, well, four games coming up that all look fairly winnable. A couple of tough ones in there. Um, fairly winnable. I think they play Ever obviously Everton. They've got West Brom away from home then after the FA Cup game. Uh, and then they've got Newcastle. So you've got three games there. If you can take maximum points, then you actually play against Chelsea and Manchester City back-to-back. -back, and that could effectively define their season as to whether they are title contenders. But again, that could all be irrelevant because if Man City keep playing at the level they're playing at, um, no one's going to stop them effectively because no one can score against them. Right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our next game. We've got Tottenham versus West Brom. So it's the, the worst team in the league at the moment against West Brom. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, that's still funny. <laughs> um, no, things haven't got quite that bad for Spurs, but it, it's been a horrible run, hasn't it? I mean, not long ago, they have been touted as title contenders, but they've lost three on the spin, I think it is. I saw a stat that first back-to-back -back home games Mourinho's lost in his, in his Premier League career, which I found was quite, quite incredible. Um, but it's only three wins since the start of December for them. And just like the same issues over and over again. It's over-reliance on Harry Kane, a general inability to to create quality chances. I saw the, the kind of meme-type image that the Infogol put out in terms of Son's over-performance from, from Infogol not that long ago. Um, but the positive for, for Spurs is they're not as bad as West Brom. Um, I don't think many in Premier League history have been as bad as West Brom. They had two massive games, Fulham and Sheffield United back-to-back. -back. One point they got out of that. I think they were in the, the Sheffield United game according to XG, but obviously it was a 2-1 loss. They're, they're bottom of the league on, on pretty much every metric. It's I've got it up here, 0.84 expected goals for per game, um, over two expected goals against per game. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem like there's much hope from them really of avoiding relegation. The, the market doesn't even give them much hope here, to be honest, either 13% win probability with odds of 7.83. 4.59 on the draw is, is a 21% chance and Tottenham gets 66% win probability at, at 1.471. So I guess it's tough to make a case for either of them on, on current form. Tottenham are clearly the better team, but, but what do you make of this betting market and, and how it compares to the InfoGoal numbers, Jake? Yeah, it's, it's very similar, um, despite the, obviously, massive issues that Spurs are, are currently facing. I, I still think this price is, um, even though West Brom are terrible, it could prove a little bit too short. I think that this is going to be a massive struggle for Tottenham, um, which is why, again, I'm looking towards the goal line for a bet. I, I just think that this Tottenham team, without Harry Kane, uh, and he is still a doubt for this, Kane's contributed to around 54% of their total expected goals this season. So for, through XG and expected assists. So when, you know, it's obvious that when you take him out of the team, he's, you know, they're, they're a much worse team from an attacking standpoint. But just to put the numbers behind that, um, he's, he's basically contributed to over half of their expected goal total this season. So if you're taking him out of the team, 
you know the, the creativity the the getting on the end of chances reduces massively um and ultimately their attacking processes basically been crap since he left <laughs> i think he got subbed at half time against liverpool and um they had around 0.06 expected goals in that second half of that game they managed 0.44 against brighton 0.65 against chelsea um effectively numbers we would expect to see from west brom so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Mourinho combats that if Kane is is out for um, a longer period, because they did look clueless against Chelsea for the most part. They looked like they were the team that were winning one nil for, for the most of that game. They were just sort of sat in there waiting for something to happen, and then all of a sudden they got a bit of urgency towards the end. But um, yeah, they, they they're struggling on the attacking front. Fortunately for them, as you said, they're playing West Brom, um, a West Brom team who are the worst defensive team in the league. They're also the worst attacking team in the league. So. They shouldn't. Tottenham shouldn't have to worry too much about um, defending. Really, um, they they shouldn't worry more about trying trying to crack this West Brom defense in this game. So, um, yeah, I think Spurs' price we've got it around sixty four percent chance. So, um, no value in backing them to win the game. Goal line is, yeah, the over two and a half is the favourite, which I, I was fairly surprised at. Um, Especially, like I've said, given the the attacking issues of both teams, I know West Brom are far from solid defensively, but they can hang in there with um, with. Well, I think a couple they've had a couple of narrow defeats um, against close, you know, teams that have of a mediocre standard, and then they've been blown out a few times by uh, by the better side. You think Manchester City? I think they beat them five nil. Um, but yeah, I can see this being a very very tight game and a massive uphill battle for Tottenham just to try and score a goal, really. Um, so, again, the market's, as I've said, over two and a half is the short favourite. We're under under two and a half. We're giving a 51% chance. We're making that odds on. Uh, and I think that that, for me, is going to be the best bet in this, is, is taking the under 2.5 goals at, at 2.12. The other potential angle in is, is if you think, it, as I do, that it's going to be a, a really close game with few goals and a narrow Spurs win. You can get try and get West Brom on side on the handicap, plus one and a half maybe. Um, I think the, the plus, plus one and a half, yeah, 1.65, which is a fairly short price, but um, I think that's got a really good chance of, of coming in. And if you if you can get the market, Tottenham to win by exactly one goal could be a really interesting uh, angle in, given that, as I've said, they've had massive attacking issues and it would not be a surprise, even against West Brom, if they go ahead and then sort of shut up shop and stop attacking. Right, well, uh, what have we got next? We've got Wolves versus Leicester as, a, as our next game and it's it's one, I think, that previously would have been like a really important match in terms of sort of those top six places at the top of the league and traditionally pretty close in the market as well. But for this one, we've got Leicester as, as pretty short favourites despite them then being on the road. They're nearly odds on 2.18 at the moment, so 45% chance of a win for them. Um, Wolves are 3.62, which is a 27% chance, and obviously the um, the remainder on the draw. We can we can get into the figures in, shortly in terms of where they're at in terms of attack and defence, but it's easy as well to see why betters like the under here, and they've, they've actually pushed the goal mark down to, to a split of 2 and 2.5. Um, at the moment, Wolves are a fair way adrift in 14th, Recent win against Arsenal, obviously that was against nine men, as we said earlier, but they've also lost to West Brom Palace. I think they lost to Burnley as well recently, and that was kind of really where they had that lack of a, a spearhead in attack. They've got William Jose who's come in and, and potentially can change that. 
Um, Leicester, on the other hand, absolutely flying. Very similar to last season at this point, but we we would have seen them drop away after Christmas where they've, they've, they've maintained their good form and, and they're still third at the moment. Could have been a bit better if they not had that little blip against Everton and Leeds, but a really good season, solid at the back, solid in attack. Obviously, Jamie Vardy coming back in as well is going to be a big boost for them, but perhaps not as interesting as it as it once would have been, Jake, because of the the injury issues that Wolves have had to deal with. But do you think it's maybe closer than, than what the market has it at the moment? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the price about Leicester, well, I think they should be favourites. Um, I think it's a little bit too short. Uh, we're giving them a 38% chance of winning, so nowhere near the, the sort of prices that you quoted there. I think that's probably still because we're we're still ranking Wolves as a, as a mid-table team to top-half team. And I think at the moment, or in particular this season, they've performed more like a, a bottom-half team uh, over a long period of time. But one thing that they continue to do is, is look fairly solid at the back. Um, you know, especially at home in particular, they're averaging 1.1 expected goals against per game at Molyneux. So they are really difficult to create against. And I think that that's going to be the story of this uh, of this game, really. Um, Leicester, as I've said previously when I was mentioned in West Ham, they the only Manchester City and Liverpool have got a better process away from home than Leicester. Um, they're averaging 1.8 expected goals for per game, 1.18 expected goals against per game. So effectively, you've got two really strong defensive teams that are clashing here. And I, I think when fully fit, Wolves are probably on a par with Leicester. And I think that that's why in recent seasons or since Wolves gained promotion, um, these matches between the two sides have been very, very close um, in terms of result. There's been very few goals. I think the, the last three matches have all seen under one and a half goals. Two of those finished nil-nil. I won't be surprised to see something similar in this game, even though Leicester are obviously um, playing at a much better standard than Wolves at the moment. Um, yeah, Wolves' defensive ability in particular, I just think is is going to be really difficult for Leicester to break down. And if you remember back to the, the game at the King Power earlier on in the season where Leicester won 1-0, I think they had two penalties in that game. Um, and other than that, they created next to nothing. So I could see this being very, very much the same, a very attritional game. Um, fine margins that will decide it. Could easily finish 0-0. I think if you can get a decent price, about a 0-0, maybe about 8-1, to something like that, 9-1. to I think I'd put half a point on that just to, just just out of interest because I, I think it is going to be that low scoring. Um, but yeah, even though the goal line is very low, we're, we're still finding a bit of value in that low goal line and um, a couple of ways you can you can get involved. Take the under one and a half, which I think is a very fair, um, fair bet. But again, just playing on the side of caution, under two Asian goals is definitely, um, is probably the smarter play. Uh, I think you're looking at around I'll just make sure I get the right one. Um, yeah, you're looking at odds against actually for for that two point two eight for under two goals, which I think is is a really really sensible play. I can see Leicester winning two nil. I can see a one one draw. I can see a one nil win either way or a goalless draw. But any more goals than that, I'd be very very surprised. Yeah, I think well, Leicester obviously going to want to keep pace at the the top of the table. And one of the the teams or the team that they're going to try and catch featuring our next game, Liverpool versus Manchester City. Um, I'm not saying Burnley and Brighton isn't a highlight game, but I think this one undoubtedly <laughs> is the the highlight fixture for the weekend. Um, obviously, the title race looks a lot different than it did sort of a few weeks back or a couple of months ago. 
it feels like it wasn't that long ago that City were were kind of hovering around sort of the top half of the table. Now they're, I think they're three points clear at the moment, aren't they? They've got game in hand. You, you mentioned it earlier as well, and we talked about it quite a bit last week, just how good that defence has been. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And maybe Jesus can can begin to step up a little bit more or Sterling in a more central role. But obviously Aguero, I mean, barely played at all this season, but they, they're still managing to score goals as well. But no Kevin De Bruyne for this game, I think. Liverpool, um, I think if City can complain against De Bruyne, about De Bruyne not playing, I think Liverpool and the kind of injury concerns they have are, are in a different world. They obviously dipped into the transfer market because of the, the defenders, the lad from Preston and, and Schalke. Um, I'm not sure if Alisson will be back for this game, but he missed the last one. Mane's missed the last few. Um, I think all the injuries combined... They've had a little bit of bad luck in, in terms of being able to put the ball in the back of the net as well. But all those things sort of put together, you can see where that drop-off has come from. Um, it's pretty close with City in terms of attacking process over the over the season as a whole. Um, a little bit better, in fact, I think. And they're, they're two expected goals, four per game. Um, but it's just not converting those chances of late is, is really what's caused them the problems. Um, and when you don't do that, the, the drop-off is, is inevitable, isn't it? And... I think that said, they win this. It's easy to forget, and they sort of they get they get three points here, and it's only four points. Um, they've still City's still got that game in hand, but it's I don't think it's over yet. Despite what the the outright odds suggest, I think Liverpool are pushing sort of double digits in the market to win the league. City are well sort of odds on for it, um, but individual game um, and what we're talking about here, City are are the favourites. Um, 45% chance of a win at 2.17. Liverpool priced at 3.44, which is a, a 28% chance. And the draw is 3.7, which is 26% chance. And betters do like the look of goals in this one at over 2.5 and 3. That's the that's the favourite at the moment. I mean, I'm kind of torn here, Jake. Manchester City, the form they're in, odds against, is going to appeal to people. But I cannot remember the last time Liverpool would have been at home and such high odds. So there's there's probably good good sides to both of this, but but which side would you be looking at from a, an info goal perspective? And obviously your prediction can extend to to alternative markets if if needed. So where are you going? Yeah, I, I'm sort of torn as well, um, and I'm so I'm a little bit surprised that um, that the info goal model is actually not as short on Manchester City as I thought it would be. Um, I thought that. That Liverpool or that Manchester City would probably represent value at that price, um, but according to the model, it, it doesn't. We've got City at around a forty-one percent chance of winning, so um, <clears throat> nowhere near the sort of forty-five, forty-six percent that the the odds currently represent. So, um, yeah, it, it's this game. I, I can't really get my head around how it's going to sort of play out because you think of Manchester City's sort of stubborn defense and. Um, and then you think of Liverpool's complete makeshift back four. And if Manchester City... Well, listen, the only way I can see Liverpool getting a result here is by scoring a couple of goals. Because I think Manchester City are going to score um, at least once against this Liverpool back line. You know, whoever plays there, whether it is Davis who gets a start, or whether it's Kabak, the new guy, or whether Fabinho plays in there with Henderson. I, you know, Manchester City, for me, will score at least once at Anfield. And then it is a question of can Liverpool do something that very few teams have done this season, um, or especially since I think it was game week eight or nine where they lost to Tottenham, which is actually score past Manchester City. Um, 
you know, since since that 2-0 defeat to Spurs, City have I think averaged around 0.45 expected goals against per game, which is just like incredible numbers, something that we've never seen before. Um, you know, that they they are performing at a level that that is sort of untouchable um from an underlying number standpoint. It is basically we're breaking new ground really with this defensive process currently. Um and if they continue in the same vein, then they will go down as probably the best um defensive team that we've seen since we started collecting data, which was 14-15 season. Um, they're currently around 0.78 expected goals against per game over the course of the season. I think the best is around 0.75. So they've got a little bit to go yet to, to actually be um, crowned as, as the best. But yeah, it, you know, the, the other thing you factor in, they're not even conceding that many chances. <laughs> Never mind XG. You know, you think about Burnley, they, con- they create two chances against them. Um, I think they went pretty much against Sheffield United in the uh, in the home game. It was 0.18 expected goals. I know we're talking about lesser attacking teams, but then you look at Aston Villa, who have posted incredible attacking metrics, and they could only manage 0.7 expected goals. So, yeah. The, bait, the For me, anyway, the key in this game is, can Liverpool score against Manchester City? And if they can't, then they're going to lose, in my opinion. I don't think this is going to end nil-nil. I think you think back to the game early in the season, the meeting, where... It was one-one at half time, and it was just—it was one of the best one-one um, games or forty-five minutes you'll ever see in your life. The, the quality of the football, you know, the tactics that were in play in that first half were sensational. And then they came out of the second half. It was almost like the managers had shaken hands in the dressing room and said, "Right, we'll call it a draw," um, because neither team wanted to lose, which sort of made sense at that early stage of the season. You know, Liverpool had a, a bit of a struggle. Manchester City were, obviously were struggling as well, but. I think Pep Guardiola is going to go to Anfield. He's going to smell blood. He's going to know that it's a Liverpool team. They are absolutely beatable. Um, it's something that the City haven't managed to do against Liverpool um, in a game that, that's actually meant something. I think that they obviously beat Liverpool 4-0 at the back end of last season, but that was after they'd already been crowned champions. Um, so, they, you know, there's that sort of head-to-head record. Guardiola really doesn't have a good head-to-head record against uh, Klopp. Um, and Liverpool in particular this season have... have, have they lead the sort of um, the top six mini league. They they're unbeaten in six games against the big six. Um, oh, sorry, against the top six. Well, I think they've won four and draw two, drawn two of those. Um, whereas Manchester City, I don't think they've they've actually beaten any of the the teams in the top six at the moment. So slightly interesting. Uh, sorry, big six. I'll say big six. Um, I, I would get confused. Like, do we still include Arsenal and Tottenham in this big six? Because, Not for long. Not for long, <laughs> West Ham going to be in there next season? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately, Manchester City, I think it, it all comes down to whether Liverpool can score. Um, if Mane's fit, they've got a you know, much better chance, obviously, of, of, of break, breaching Manchester City. If I was Klopp, I would personally throw in um, both... Uh, you can't really throw in both, both Davies and Kabak. But I just think that they... When they play Fabinho and Henderson in midfield, they just miss so much in mid. Uh, sorry, in, in defence, they miss so much in midfield without having them there. So whether he does throw them in there straight away, um, just so he can get Fabinho or Henderson, or, or just one of them, just to sort of bolster that midfield, um, I think that would again give them a better chance. But based on the model, which is what I've got to go by, um, there is value in opposing Manchester City, um, and the best way to do that is taking the uh, the Asian handicap plus 0.5 with Liverpool. Um, I think the price currently, um, I think it's about 1.75. I'll just double check that out. 
Yeah, one one point seven eight you're getting for plus zero point five um, for Liverpool plus zero point five, and I, I think, yeah, I, the the model is suggesting that, but I would be um, I'd be very very wary um, of that bet in particular, and I would certainly wait until team team news is announced because if if they if Liverpool are playing with a, a back two of Henderson and Fabinho, I'd be very concerned not only because of the the obvious weakness that that poses for Manchester City to exploit, but because of the how much it weakens Liverpool's midfield um, against Manchester City's midfield, um, which usually Liverpool have the upper hand in that regard because the you know the midfield three of last season, which was one Alden, Fabinho, and Henderson, they were you know just they're just so difficult to play against. There's a bit of everything there, um, but if you take two of those out, you throw Thiago in there, and whether it be Curtis Jones or someone uh, or, or another player in there, it's a little bit easier to play against. Um, and I think that Manchester City could have a field day, so I would wait for the team news on that. Um, but yeah, based on the on the model, Liverpool plus 0.5 is the value. Um, and if to be fair, I think if Liverpool are to get something from the game, I think it's going to be low scoring. So if you like the 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 if you like getting Liverpool on side, then I'd potentially look at taking under 2.5 goals instead, uh, which is odds against. So you get a better price there. Yeah, and I think Pinnacle's one. I mean, it's driven by that that lack of depth in in Liverpool or just the the sort of sheer number of players that they're going to miss and the impact that that you rightly mentioned there that it has on midfield and their their ability to attack but, but also just how good Manchester City are and and how they they'll be able to break them down so it's a pinnacle's market led prediction is is just a man city win at 2.16 for this one and I'd I'd love to to be able to ask you a couple of things about. I know we spoke last season about Manchester City's defensive issues in terms of the shots they gave up were of, of such high quality and just how on earth they've managed to completely turn that on their head. But also with Liverpool and this whole Thiago thing and whether he's actually sort of is is detrimental to to Liverpool's performance. I mean, there's so many sort of things to look at, but. I've got my eye on the time. I know we've got a couple of games to get through, so we'll, we'll I'll move us on to the Sheffield United versus Chelsea. Um, and I think you mentioned it earlier about Sheffield United potentially getting above West Brom and, and maybe even Fulham. They've won three of the last five, a team that didn't win one in 17 or 18 games, whatever it was at the start of the season. Um, in there as well, you, you mentioned about the game against Manchester City. They barely created anything, but... Any team that loses 1-0 against Manchester City, I think, is going to be relatively happy. Um, and it kind of almost kept that that good, that confidence going and the good run going for Sheffield United. Um, it's going to be difficult for them here, though. Thomas Tuchel is obviously coming to Chelsea. He inherited a good squad and I talked about this on the previous show. They were, for the most part, playing well. Um, they just weren't getting good results for a lot of it. And... They've kind of gone through a bit of a tough patch since he's come in. He's, he's won two, he's drawn one. They haven't actually conceded. I think you have to say that they've dominated all of the games that they've played in, albeit the, the quality of opponents like Tottenham, the best of the, the three that they've played. And we said what we said about them. Um, I think the interesting one here for me is as well, you look at the team selection. I mean, Marcos Alonso's come in, Azpilicueta's come in, hudson Adoy's featuring a lot. So he's, he's actually changing things up a little bit as well. Um, now the market's pretty high on Chelsea um, to to continue their good run. They're actually one point four nine at the moment, which is a sixty six percent win probability. Um, Sheffield United, as you'd expect, relatively low at thirteen percent chance and odds of seven point six four, um, and the draw is rated at twenty one percent chance with odds of four point five nine. So 
Chelsea do look solid, new look maybe with a couple of old faces coming into the team, but is InfoGoal in line with with how much they should dominate this game? What do you think? No, we, we think that, that price is too short. I mean, we make them around a 56% chance um, to win the game. <clears throat> and I think that I think that's probably because we've got the goal line quite low, um, which is obviously therefore making the drawer a, um, a, a shorter price than what the market is. Uh, Chelsea, they've been really impressive. There's no two ways about it. I, I think that more defensively they've been impressive than, than in attack. But yeah, they, they, they've held Spurs at arm, arm's length for pretty much 90 minutes, 0.65 expected goals. Burnley, like I said, they only had one shot in that game. Um, 0.14 expected goals and against Wolves it was 0.63 expected goals and, and that was after he'd only had about eight hours to work with the team so um, yeah that there's promising signs there from a defensive standpoint still questions for me anyway in, in terms of their attacking numbers 0.8 against Wolves as I said they didn't have much like, much time to work with them that can be accepted but then only 1.35 against Burnley which was um, you know quite a low total I think they had quite a few shots in that game of low probability um, and then against Spurs the 1.9 expected goals but 0.8 of that actually came from the penalty so again another performance in which they created few chances from open play um, that to me <laughs> certainly opens the door for a, another unders bet in this game um, I think you know you, you you said it there that when Sheffield United played Manchester City they played them tough there was you know, there weren't too much in the game. They didn't create much themselves, but neither did Manchester City. And I can see this being very or following the exact same pattern. Um, Chelsea will dominate the football. Um, Sheffield United will not not really threaten Chelsea, uh, and Chelsea could well nick it one nil. I don't see this being a really high scoring game at all. Um, so I was very surprised to see under two and a half um, available at one point nine seven on Pinnacle. I think that's um, a very very good bet. Uh, the model makes it around one point nine. So for me, that's probably one of the bets of the week. Um, it's something that I, I, I think is a really, really strong play, given what we've seen from Chelsea under Tuchel and, and given what we, you know, we've come to expect from Sheffield United under Wilder. And then finally, we've got our, our last game of game week 23, Leeds versus Crystal Palace and two teams that are probably just as unpredictable as each other. And even since we last spoke, I think that sums it up. With Leeds, it was 3-1 against um, Leicester, wasn't it? Followed by the, the loss to Everton. Palace, I think, won their two games since we last spoke as well. Like uh, Both of them really up and down. Both of them, it seems difficult for the, the market to be able to price up. Um, where we've got them here is... Let me just pull it up, sorry. Um, we've got Leeds... <laughs> Leeds is the, the odds-on favourite, 1.869. The draw is 3.92 and the, the Palace win is 4.26. So in terms of your percentages, you're looking at sort of 52% for Leeds, 26% on the draw and around sort of 23% on uh, on Crystal Palace. I think it's a, it's a tough one to end on, Jake, in terms of a, a prediction for this. You, you never really know with Leeds, do you? But clearly the market heavily fancies them here and my guess is that maybe you aren't quite aligned with that and, and maybe they're a little bit sort of overestimated. What do you think? Yeah, your guess would be wrong. We've actually got leads exactly the same as the market, um, which is also surprising to me. And I think it just sort of emphasises how poorly we rate Crystal Palace uh, more than anything. Um, and, you know, those, those this price that, that we've got at the moment that, that's available on the market, that tells you that, even at Selhurst Park, Leeds would be favourite in this matchup, um, and I think that's probably a fair reflection of where the two teams are at. 
Um, yeah, I was a bit disappointed by Leeds in midweek. Um, I thought they, I thought Everton would be a really decent team for them to play against, uh, a team struggling in attack, but you know, sort of soaking up pressure from for the most part. But um, they got caught out as 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 has been the norm this season uh, by a couple of defense defensive errors, um, high lines that were exploited, and and that to me is a little bit of an issue coming into this game against Crystal Palace, who obviously have um, you know some real playmakers and um, some pacey players that can get in behind. Uh, I know Wilfred Zahar's out for this, which is, is a huge blow, but um, I did a little piece on their new signing, John-Philippe Mateta from Mainz, um, and his underlying numbers are actually um, exceptional this season, which was hugely surprising for me because Palace don't usually get um, do fantastic deals, but it seems as though they've turned a corner with, uh, with Eze and, and Mateta. He's... Only uh, I think there's only four players in the Bundesliga who actually averaged more expected goals per average match than him this season. Um, Lewandowski's obviously one. Erling Haaland's another. Um, and then I can't remember the other two off the top of my head, but he's in elite company in that league. And if he can translate that form over into this league, then he'll be a he'll prove to be a really, really important sign, and especially with Zaha out. Um, but yeah, it was a, another typical Palace performance against Newcastle. Just sort of fluke into a win. Um you know, some good good goalkeeping, some poor finishing, um, some good blocking, ultimately conceding, like I said, 2.4 expected goals in that game. But um, coming away with the win, they've had massive issues away from home all season, though, Crystal Palace, uh, allowing 1.7 expected goals against per game, which, you know, given Leeds also concede chances, it does lend itself to a, a potentially high-scoring game. Um, the market... He's obviously massively favouring the overs. You're looking at around a 1.6 um, for over 2.5 goals. The model is surprisingly on the fence. Um, we're 50-50 over-unders, which is a bit of a surprise. But I think that that, to me, says that, that we're not expecting Crystal Palace to contribute too much to this scoring. Um, so, yeah, huge value in opposing the goals. Again, I'm looking at the goal lines, the prices. It could well pay to actually get that bit of security again uh, with the under three goals as opposed to taking under 2.5. Under 2.5 is at price at 2.3. Um, under three is at 1.8. So, you know, it's a shorter price, but there's been a fair few two ones uh, recently. Uh, and, and if this again finishes 2-1 either way, you've got that little comfort blanket that you're going to get your state back. Um, I'd be surprised if this is, if, if we see uh, over three and a half in this game. Um, so under three at 1.8 is is probably for me anyway. It's a value bet, and um, and it's for me the the best way into this, uh, the best angle in this game. Right, and that does wrap it up for for game week 23. And as always, Jake, some some great analysis. Now you set the bar high with the the last show and those incredible selections <laughs> that, that came out of it. So no pressure. No but pressure. Exactly. Hopefully it can it can carry on in that vein. And and anyone listening, if you do want to take the InfoGoal numbers or look at the data in a little bit more detail, then you can follow InfoGoal on Twitter using the handle at InfoGoal app. Um, and you can also download the app on iOS and Android. All of the odds uh, for Game Week 23 are available on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.